cancer signs can be sometimes very nebulous and very subtle. It's not always seeing a, a tumor or feeling a tumor on the body. Sometimes we'll see behavioral changes in terms of how a dog or a cat for that better behaves. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Hello, friend. Today on Dog Cancer Answers, we're taking a listener line call from Janet, who has a plan for how to catch anal gland cancer early in her breed of dog. And she's wondering if there are other guidelines that we might want to put in place for our dogs. To answer that question and more, we are bringing back Dr. Brooke Britton, oncologist, for another episode of Dog Cancer Answers. Dr. Britton, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we're going to hear from Janet, and she has a question about early indicators. Let's take a listen. Hello, my name is Janet. I am owner and breeder at Ruby Rose Kennels in Central Washington State, and work with German long hair pointers out of Holland. My question is mostly a suggestion, and that is in experiencing cancers uh, such as anal gland cancer and lymphoma, I have studied extensively globally to learn what kind of indicators might be available. And it would just be great for help knowing when to start looking for signs of these potential killers in our dogs. I know, for instance, the glandular cancers tend to occur at six years plus and that there are things that can be done just as simple as having a vet check on anal glands, for instance, every six months after the age of six. So if there are other things that could be put on the list for owners to know on a timeline basis when we could be looking for some warning signs, I think that would be very helpful in our care and also in making our local vets partners in looking out for these serious diseases. I've followed your podcast for many, many years. You've been helpful to me in many ways. And if I ever can give back, of course, I will do. Well, thank you, Janet. That's so nice to hear. And I really appreciate you calling in with your question, which I think is a great one. Dr. Britton, what are the things that we who love dogs should be doing on a regular basis throughout their lifespan to check for cancer. Janet thinks that anal glands should be checked every six months after the age of six. Is that a good idea? And are there any other tips that you want to put on our to-do list? (laughs) So many things. (laughs) So many things. (laughs) So many things. So I think that Janet's question is a really great question. And she does make a point at the end of talking about how it's a team effort because it really, really is between people monitoring their dogs at home, Mm -hmm. uh, between their primary veterinarians and sometimes their specialist veterinarians if they need specialty care. So it really is a, a team effort monitoring these things. Honestly, I think one of the best things that people can do is to bring their dogs regularly for wellness checks, to which she also alluded. In general, when a dog is in their younger years, once a year is generally adequate as long as they're healthy and happy and eating well and no major behavioral changes, no major weight loss or any, anything concerning of that nature. As they get older, and older means something different depending upon the breed, 
Mm-hmm. I know a lot of large to giant breed dogs tend to age a little bit more rapidly internally than some smaller dogs, for example, or purebred versus mixed breed dogs in some cases. So it, older really depends on the breed we're dealing with. Often we're getting a little bit older when we're in the six to eight bus range for large to giant breed dogs. We're getting a little older in the eight to 10 year plus range for kind of medium dogs and maybe 10 plus for smaller dogs. And again, those are just general guidelines. But as we get older, sometimes those wellness exams are increasing in frequency, maybe every six months, as she alluded to. And things that we do during a general wellness exam including in my cancer patients who are in remission, but I'm monitoring them for their general health and perhaps recurrence, are looking at structures that we don't commonly pay attention to in our everyday today with them, such as the anal sacs or anal glands. They can hide tumors like anal sac adenocarcinoma. And they are often tumors that you would more feel internally versus see externally, Mm -hmm. with exception. But usually if you start to see a tumor in the anal sacs externally, we're in more trouble (laughs) because it may have been growing for a longer period of time, or it may be more difficult to remove once we can actually see it from the outside. Um, Feeling lymph nodes externally, many vets are very adept at feeling peripheral lymph nodes for evidence of lymphoma or other infectious diseases or other cancers. So that type of screening happens at a wellness visit, feeling for lumps or bumps, all over the body is also something that we do routinely. And if someone at home feels a lump or bump or they feel that their dog is just not feeling well or that something is amiss, then having a a spontaneous appointment or a, a recheck appointment in between wellness visits is very important to bring that concern to a vet's attention so that we can address it promptly if it ends up being something indeed that's more concerning and needs to be medically addressed. The other thing that happens at wellness checks is oftentimes baseline blood work and other testing for infectious disease, for parasites, other issues that can cause quality of life concerns that can mimic certain behavioral and and other constitutional changes that we can see with cancer and can be differentiating tests. Is this something that is an easily fixable problem? that is something that can be dealt with in one visit or two visits, or is it something where we've actually diagnosed a a more serious disease or a cancer where we need ongoing treatment? So many of these things can be picked up at a screening visit through a basic physical examination or through baseline blood work. At home, you know, cancer signs can be sometimes very nebulous and very subtle. It's not always seeing a, a tumor or feeling a tumor on the body. Sometimes we'll see behavioral changes in terms of how a dog or a cat, for that matter, behaves. Maybe they are lethargic or more withdrawn. Maybe they are spending time in a different room or on a different surface, even rug versus hardwood floor or tile that is atypical for them. Maybe their day-to-day routine is disrupted. They normally follow you around all the time from room to room when you're working from home and And then you notice that they're under the bed or they're under a chair or hiding behind the coffee table and they're not following you around Mm -hmm. or they're missing their normal 5 p.m. walk or they don't want to walk as long. So sometimes these things can be very subtle. Other times we notice that they're not eating very well or they're having GI distress like vomiting, diarrhea, they're losing weight. 
other types of signs that are nonspecific and that they could indicate other things that may be benign, like a GI bug, distressing nonetheless. But those types of signs can be signs related to cancer as well. So any deviation from the norm, especially if it's persistent, increasing in frequency or worsening over time is important for us to, to bring to the attention of a veterinarian. It strikes me that, you know, we know our dogs best, right? We know our dogs better than anybody else could. And so as dog lovers, we just really need to have a picture in our head that we can compare. Our dog today is behaving like this. Is that is that who we know our dog to be? And any deviation from that, I think there's an intuitive sense sometimes. There's just something off. Something's just not right. Mm-hmm. And um, we should pay attention to that, sounds like you're saying. It's true. And sometimes these things are so subtle that, you know, a, a person may bring their dog in to see me and say, look, he's just not right. I can't put my finger on it, but there's just something that isn't right. And I think that's a hard one for vets to field because it's nonspecific and it's very mm-hmm. broad. But at the same time, it doesn't make it any less valid because many times when people bring that to our attention, they are right. You know, it's something that is not quite right with their dog and something is going on. So it's important to note those changes. And again, especially if there's a pattern or a trend, whether increasing in frequency or duration or worsening in any sense. Dr. Dressler once told me as a general practitioner, whenever he sees a dog for a wellness visit, he says the average is three to five things that are off that aren't ideal, that might be indicating that something's going wonky and needs to be addressed and helped along to keep that dog healthy in the long term. And those wellness checks, it seems, you know, your dog's sick. You don't think, my dog's older. So your screening guidelines basically are once a year until your dog is older, six for a large breed, eight to 10 for a medium breed, and 10 plus for a small breed, and then six months ever after basically, for those wellness checks, just to make sure that everything's lined up? That's a general guideline. You know, there are some people that would want screening more frequently, and that's not wrong to do. It's never wrong to go see your vet, Mm -hmm. you know, just for a wellness check, even every six months, if that's something that makes you feel better. And your veterinarian may not always run every single test or every single diagnostic at those visits, and most will kind of have a set interval at which they do those diagnostics, like blood work, for example, especially if we do feel that a dog is truly healthy and we're not seeing any red flags of concern. But screening is, in general, very important. And in addition, there are many dog breeds that are predisposed to certain types of cancer. So while, just like in human medicine, you may not, even if you have a family history of, let's say, gastric cancer, you may not get ultrasounds, you know, every six months or even at your annual physicals, there may be certain um, intervals that we alter or adjust for dogs that are more predisposed to certain types of cancer, especially if they have a history in their lineage where we may be screening them more frequently, or we may do a diagnostic like chest x-rays or an ultrasound as they get older, even if they appear to be completely well so that we're trying to catch these disease processes early, especially with cancers that are very insidious that may develop 
and progress over time where we may not have any outward signs of illness until they really start to get bigger and, and feel sick. So true. Let's take a brief break here. But when we come back, I want to ask you about how we can figure out concrete screening guidelines in the future. And now a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. (laughs) No matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good in this life and the next, and the next, and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damian Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. Now, with a name like that, it is not for everyone. 
But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year's subscription for free, no strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We are back with oncologist Brooke Britton. I recently spoke to Dr. Jules Benson with Nationwide Pet Insurance, and he was talking about the two papers that they've released so far this year, white papers based on their claims data for, I think it's 1.5 million dogs. Mm -hmm. So they had this huge sample size. And one of their goals as they continue to release these white papers is basically they're just saying, here's an interesting pattern. And he wants to be able to, for every breed, have a list of diagnostics or things to look out for because they have it in their claims data. They know what is happening with dogs in their sample, obviously. But we might be able to have these tools where we can say, oh, you have a doxy, so you want to start checking for X at age five. And by the time they're eight, they should do this one diagnostic for this one thing. That seems like a really useful tool to me that we start to get some more specific guidelines based on breed, size, age, whatever is coming up. Does that feel juicy to you? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. With a caveat, I think having that much data, because a lot of our veterinary studies are kind of small sample sizes at best, I would say. It's rare for us to have studies, especially prospective designed studies that have hundreds of patients. You know, it it often doesn't really exist in our world because it's difficult to get that number of patients like it is in the human realm where they have many more patients for their clinical trials. So even though this is what we would call retrospective data, we're sort of analyzing it in retrospect and seeing what blood work abnormalities these dogs had, what clinical symptomology they had before they were diagnosed with certain cancers or other diseases. It can still be useful to make kind of broad 
generalizations about certain breeds or certain ages of dogs and kind of stratify that data and see are there patterns that have evolved in these larger populations that should direct some of our diagnostic guidelines. These are always guidelines, though. So the only caveat I would say is that that data is very valuable, but then we also have individuals. And so we can make some generalizations and use that to guide our decisions. But we always have to look at the individual patient and say, well, what do I think is most appropriate for this individual? And if it's doing a screening diagnostic or not, as the case may be, sooner or later than those guidelines might suggest if they materialize, then if we're doing that, that's because we think it's in the best interest of the patient. So we always have to look at the individual and adjust the guidelines to what we think that that patient needs at that time. That's an excellent point. So often, you know, in our Facebook group for folks who are dealing with dog cancer, for example, we'll hear you know, a very common complaint is my vet didn't think to do this or my vet skipped this test. And I often feel that what's really being expressed is I wish none of this had happened and I wish someone had figured this out sooner. And because the veterinarian is the person who's supposed to know, they're supposed to know. But the reality is that you only have what you have to deal with and you can only make your best judgment based on what's going on with this individual dog at any given time. And things get missed and things couldn't have been found in the first place. Mm -hmm. And the guidelines are only ever there to suggest a way through the wilderness of actually just being there with the dog and paying attention to that dog. And as dog owners, I know I as a dog owner, it's my job to make sure that I understand my dog really well and that I know what's going on with her. And then I consult with my veterinarian about that because she's my dog. That is true. Sometimes things are truly missed. You know, mistakes happen in any field and veterinarians are not immune to making mistakes as well-intentioned and as diligent as, as we all try to be. Um, in reality, with many cancers, there can be uh, situations where cancer is more insidious. So it grows internally and maybe, especially in a larger breed dog, it's not something that can be felt or detected when it's very small. Mm. It may be a silent tumor and cause no clinical signs for a longer period of time. And if a dog is otherwise healthy, we're not necessarily doing advanced imaging or other testing at a routine wellness exam that may pick up that tumor. And those tests can be very expensive and sometimes require sedation or anesthesia. And so just like in the human realm, we deal with probabilities. What's the probability of a dog having this problem and needing this type of test so that we're not doing CT scans every six months on a dog, right? And then right. anesthetizing them and uh, right. you know putting them through that procedure and, and their people through the cost of that procedure. So there is that. And some cancers also come up very, very quickly, like lymphoma, for example. Lymphoma can arise within days to maybe a week or two or a month or two at best. So Many of the aggressive, um, especially the immune system cancers, they can propagate very quickly. And so a veterinarian may have seen a dog for a wellness exam who had totally normal lymph nodes and was quote unquote healthy, you know, even a week prior, two weeks prior, a month prior. And then we have, you know, the lymph nodes getting big, someone else detecting them perhaps, or the vet detecting them on a follow-up visit. And then people being like, well, why wasn't this detected? I only saw my vet last week or last month. You know, mast cell tumors can pop up very quickly as well. Sometimes I'll see a dog and then two weeks later, they have a tumor pop up and it's like, well, why didn't you see this? And it wasn't truly there. 
And so those types of situations can happen. And it can be frustrating for people because they may not realize that the rapidity with which some of these problems can develop. So oftentimes it's just a conversation and communication about those disease processes, a little bit of education. And, and most of the times people then come to understand, okay, this really could happen on that time frame, even though it, it doesn't seem feasible. But sometimes that really is what's happening too. It's not that a vet missed something. It's that it, it truly wasn't there or wasn't detectable at the time that they were last examined. Yeah, that is so important. It is shocking how quickly mass cell tumors and lymphoma can just pop up pop out up. of nowhere. <laughs> Absolutely. And it blindsides people. And of course it does. It's shocking how quickly they develop. It is. And there's no way to know that they're coming. That is true. Yeah. Oftentimes that is true. This is a whole other conversation, but there are newer tests on the horizon. One in particular, that's a liquid biopsy test that just came out to try to detect cancers very early via bloodborne test. You know, looking at biomarkers and other types of early detection indicators is something that we are trying to push forward in veterinary medicine, but these tests are still not incredibly specific. So they may indicate that cancer is likely present and it may hone it down to an 85% likelihood of X, Y, and Z cancer. But oftentimes we're not able to know with certainty based off of one biomarker test or one early detection test what cancer we're dealing with with rare exception. And, and one of those is the BRAF assay for bladder cancers. That one you can tell. You can with near certainty, but diligent screening and really, again, the more eyes and hands that we have partnership between the pet owner and between their veterinarian is usually very instrumental in detecting cancer early. And the earlier we detect it, just like on the human side, the more options we often will have. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brooke Britton for that comprehensive and helpful answer. Thank you. And thank you, Janet, for that question that just opened us wide up to all sorts of interesting insights from Dr. Britton. To just wrap that conversation up, let's turn to Kate Bastauer, producer. Thanks for joining me, Kate, to have a little debrief. Hey, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. So, what do you think about the exam guidelines? Your mother is a veterinarian and you are a licensed veterinary tech and you've worked in the veterinary field for a long time. What do you think about those general wellness exam guidelines that Dr. Britton gave? It's absolutely a good idea. It's amazing with some of the subtle things that come on, how much we, even as dedicated dog lovers who adore and worship our dogs, can miss when things just creep up slowly. Mm -hmm. And especially when you have that relationship with your regular veterinarian where you're coming in with your senior dog every six months, they get to know your dog really well. And mm -hmm. they might, as soon as you walk in that exam room, go, oh, how long has he been limping on that leg? Or has she always had that head tilt? And you might not have noticed that yourself because it just happened so gradually that it was still a part of the picture of normal that you had for your dog in your head. And sometimes, sometimes I don't notice that something's going on. Like right now I have Kanga here in her little bag. And the reason I do is because it took me about six hours today to notice that she's just not feeling well. There were a bunch of things, but I didn't see it right away. We're not, you know, we're not always as attentive as we would like to be. Mm -hmm. 
And it's just the nature of being with another being every day. And right. Get used to miss the cell things. It's like when you see a friend that you haven't seen in a while and they've been working on either an active fitness program mm-hmm. or trying to eat healthier. And if you're with them every day, you might not notice the progression. But if you haven't seen them in a couple months and then meet up for lunch or something, it's like, wow, everything you've been doing has really been working and you look so different and can really see the results. This is how you know that you and I are different ages because I thought you were going, but you haven't seen a friend for a while and you see them and you think, oh my God, you look so old. <laughs> and then you look at yourself and you go, oh my God, you look so old. <laughs> well, that too, but we try not to think about that. <laughs> All of my friends right now are like, Molly. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a really interesting question that Janet brought to us today. And I'm really glad that she did. And I felt like we got a really good discussion with Dr. Britton out of it. Yeah. And I really feel for both the owners and the vets around screening, because it's one of those things where we all want to do the screening as much as needed, as much as possible to try to catch stuff early, Mm -hmm. but having to balance it with the practicality and the cost. Yeah. My breed, Belgian Treverin, we're starting to see more cases of gastric carcinoma, stomach cancer. Mm. And it's one of those cancers where by the time you have clinical signs, it's usually too late to really do anything except try to keep them comfortable for a little while. And the only way to get a definitive diagnosis is to do endoscopy. So to put the dog under anesthesia and put a special camera on a scope. Yep, scope down their esophagus and into the stomach to check it out. And then you can, if there is a mass that's found, can take a biopsy and everything. And obviously that is not cheap. Even if your general practice vet has an endoscope, it's still not a cheap procedure. And you've got anesthesia and the risks that come with that. If you're doing it as a screening tool with a healthy dog, that's a lot lower risk for anesthesia. But still, every anesthetic event is a risk. And also, just because your dog has a negative scope today doesn't mean that a mass is going to show up in two days. Right. So then the question is, even if you are willing to invest, the, willing and able to invest the money to do regular endoscopes of your dog, how often are you going to do that? Every six months? Right. Every two months? Once a year? Right. Yeah. It's not practical. And yeah. And if you have another dog that is not at high risk for a specific cancer, then, you know, like she said, we could do CAT scans, but those are expensive and they're exposing the dog to radiation. There's like, if you don't need to do it, you don't necessarily want to do diagnostic imaging like that on a routine basis. It's very hard. And it's also hard because dogs don't speak English. Yes. So we can't ask them if everything's okay. We have to really go on what we know about our dogs and on what the tests tell us and what the wellness exams. And I guess that's really why the best recommendation is to go to the vet for the wellness exam so that what we pay attention to and what we measure tends to improve. And so if we want the health of our dogs to improve, we should probably take them to the vet on a pretty regular basis just to make sure everything's going well. Yeah. Keeping up with that annual exam for young dogs and every six months or potentially even more often if you've got a really 
senior dog who's having a lot of troubles or just not seeming right. Mm -hmm. And it's always so heartbreaking to me when you hear someone ask the question, how did my vet miss this? Because like Dr. Britton was saying, there's so many different ways that something can be, quote, missed where it might not actually be missed. And especially because the other thing that you hear and see all the time, both in veterinary hospitals, if you're just hanging out in the waiting room or online on forums, is complaints about cost of veterinary care and everything. And so vets don't want to twist your arm into doing a test that isn't really needed because that's money that could be saved for if your dog actually has a problem in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's this awful balance between not wanting to do a test that isn't needed, but also not wanting to miss something. And there's really no way to know until you take the plunge. And then if you get back a negative test and everything's clear, some people look at that as, oh, I I just wasted that money. And it's like, but you actually didn't, because at least you know that your dog is good right now. Right. It's not a guarantee for next year, but at least you know that that money was spent to give you peace of mind now anyway. Yeah. As somebody who has dealt with anxiety and, you know, on a regular basis, I like to know. Mm -hmm. That's my bias. Other people who deal with anxiety don't like to know. So there's no Mm -hmm. way to handle these things, right? And that's why in the end, we always come back to this is that every dog is different, every cancer is different, but also every human is different. Mm-hmm. And every human has their own limits and their own skill sets. And so we should all be cutting ourselves a break. Yeah. And have an open dialogue with your vet about what your expectations are for both screening your dog for potential problems and dealing with problems that come up so that both of you can work together as a team to do what's best for you and your dog. Right. Well, Janet, thank you so much for your very helpful call. I know that as a regular listener, we appreciate that, but we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to call and leave this very powerful question. If you, listener, also have a powerful question in mind, even if it's one that you think you already have the answer to, but that you think would be useful for other people to know what you know, please call us at 808-868-3200. And leave a question that prompts a discussion like the one we had today, because these shows are listened to by people well into the future, and you never know who's going to hear it at exactly the right time to help their dog. So if you've been helped, be like Janet and pay it forward. We really appreciate it. I'm Molly Jacobson, and for all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'm wishing you and your dog a very warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. 
Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.